Back to Basics 2.0, Moderate Sedation and Analgesia, by Aaron Kyle. Moderate Sedation and Analgesia, MSA, is intended to mildly depress a patient's level of consciousness and alter their perception of pain to facilitate their tolerance of a procedure and avoid use of a general anesthetic. Sedation occurs on a continuum as follows. 1. Minimal. The patient responds normally to verbal stimulation. Airway spontaneous ventilation and cardiovascular function are unaffected. 2. Moderate. The patient responds purposefully to verbal or tactile stimulation. Airway and spontaneous ventilation are adequate, and cardiovascular function is usually maintained. 3. Deep. The patient responds purposefully to repeated or painful stimulation. Airway and spontaneous ventilation may require intervention, and cardiovascular function is usually maintained. And 4. General anesthesia. The patient is unarousable and requires airway intervention. Spontaneous ventilation is inadequate, and cardiovascular function may be impaired. During MSA, the patient maintains their protective reflexes and can communicate verbally. Legislative and regulatory agencies govern nursing practice, including MSA, through, quote, state practice acts, statutes, administrative codes, advisory opinions, position statements, and regulations administered by state boards of nursing, end quote. Organization leaders should consult with their state's board of nursing regarding the RN's role and responsibility for administering MSA. Nurse competencies associated with MSA should reflect current regulations and guidelines. An interdisciplinary team comprising, quote, the Director of Anesthesia Services and representatives from all disciplines, for example, anesthesia, nursing, surgery, risk management, quality, pharmacy, end quote, that may be involved with MSA processes should develop applicable policies, procedures, and protocols for RNs who will administer MSA. AORN's Moderate Sedation Guideline provides a comprehensive list of competency topics associated with administering MSA safely. An anesthesia professional or other qualified licensed practitioner, for example, surgeon endoscopist, should directly supervise an RN administering MSA, and the RN should be familiar with the organization's policies and procedures for MSA. Each procedural area, for example, OR, Interventional Radiology, Endoscopy Unit, in which RNs administer MSA, should have the same standard of care. Nurses should review AORN's Guideline for Care of the Patient Receiving Moderate Sedation Analgesia in its entirety for detailed information on administering MSA in perioperative and procedural settings. Practice Point Patient Selection, Assessment, and Planning The organization should have a policy and procedure that clearly defines patient selection and the tools that the RN should use when performing pre-sedation assessments. The American Society of Anesthesiologists' ASA Physical Classification System is a tool that is used broadly in perioperative and procedural areas and may be used to determine patient acuity. 
patients with an ASA classification of 1, 2, or medically stable 3, generally are considered to be candidates for RN-administered MSA. The organization's policies and procedures for MSA should contain the pre-sedation assessment requirements, including a review of the patients. 1. History and physical examination. 2. Current medications, including the dosage, last dose, and frequency. 3. Allergies and sensitivities to food, medications, adhesives, latex, and the environment. 4. History and current use of alcohol, tobacco products, non-prescribed prescription medications, cannabis, and illicit drugs. 5. Laboratory test, including pregnancy, and diagnostic test results. 6. Vital signs. 7. Airway considerations. For example, difficult mask ventilation, obstructive sleep apnea, OSA. 8. Baseline neurological status and physical or sensory impairment. 9. Levels of anxiety and pain. 10. NPO status. 11. Informed consent. 12. Previous adverse experiences with MSA or general anesthesia. And 13. Post-procedure transportation arrangements. In addition to the assessment elements relevant to all patients, RN should consider additional factors when caring for older adults and children undergoing procedures with MSA. Older adults are at risk for frailty, a clinical syndrome comprising at least three of the following conditions. Low activity level, decreased grip strength, unintentional weight loss greater than 10 pounds, slow walking speed, and self-reported exhaustion. There are a variety of screening tools for frailty, such as the tug, timed up and go, test, and the frail, fatigue resistance aerobic capacity, illness, loss of weight, scale. Older adult patients with a higher frailty score are at risk for poor outcomes related to the procedure and sedation. Pre-procedure functional impairments, for example, immobilization, and cognitive impairments and dementia are risk factors for postoperative delirium in older adult patients. The interdisciplinary team members should identify the screening tools that personnel will use to evaluate frailty, functional impairment, and cognitive impairment among older adults before administering MSA. They also should determine how personnel will interpret and apply the results during the decision-making process for these patients' care. The interdisciplinary team should specify the selection criteria. For example, patient age, ASA classification, and identify additional assessment criteria for children undergoing procedures with MSA and include it in the organization's policies and procedures. The team should consider a variety of elements, such as premature birth, developmental disabilities, for example, autism spectrum disorder diagnosis, behavioral concerns, traumatic experiences, congenital anomalies, and physical delays. Airway assessment is an important consideration for all patients receiving MSA, and each patient should be assessed for characteristics that might put them at an increased risk for difficult ventilation with a mask. Examples of airway assessment criteria include limited neck mobility, a small mouth opening, 
jaw abnormalities, tonsillar hypertrophy, dysmorphic facial features, and the presence of a beard. Mask ventilation can be difficult when the uvula and soft palate are not clearly visible. Because MSA can interfere with normal respiration and increase the risk of upper airway relaxation and collapse, RN should screen patients for OSA before administering MSA. A validated screening tool should be used when assessing patients for OSA. Examples of OSA screening tools include the 1. Stop bang. Snoring, tiredness, observed apnea, high blood pressure, body mass index, age, neck circumference, and male gender. Tool. 2. Berlin Questionnaire. 3. ASA Checklist for the Identification and Assessment of OSA. And 4. PSAP, Perioperative Sleep Apnea Prediction, Score. When the results of OSA screening indicate that the patient has a history of OSA or is at high risk for OSA, RN should consult with an anesthesia professional and the supervising licensed practitioner. Nurses also should implement precautions for these patients, including careful titration of medications, for example, opioids, and preparation for non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Nurses should involve the patient in the MSA planning process. Use of a patient decision aid, a tool to document the MSA process, patient-perceived benefits and risks, adverse effects, choices, additional patient questions, review questions, and references, can support patient-centered care and collaboration, increase patients' knowledge, and decrease patients' anxiety. Practice Point Medication Administration and Monitoring Nurses administer MSA medications via multiple routes, for example, IV, intramuscular, oral, intranasal, transmucosal, rectal. Before administering MSA, RN should verify the order for the required route, dosing parameters, and patient-specific maximum dose. They also should know the intended effects, pharmacological characteristics, potential adverse reactions, compatibility, and contraindications for each medication. They should administer IV medications individually and use incremental doses to titrate to the desired level of sedation without compromising the patient's airway, spontaneous ventilation, protective reflexes, and vital signs. The dosage for IV medication also should allow the patient to respond to verbal commands or light tactile stimulation. When administering MSA medications to older adults and children, RN should collaborate with the supervising licensed practitioner regarding any dosage adjustments. Nurses should be prepared to respond to sedation-related emergencies during MSA administration. They should verify that age-appropriate equipment, medications, and supplies required for resuscitation are immediately available for the patient population being served before administering MSA. Such items include a defibrillator with pads, resuscitation medications, for example, epinephrine, lidocaine, glucose, IV access devices, and basic and advanced airway management supplies, for example, suction, masks, oral and nasal airway devices, laryngoscopes, endotracheal tubes, supraglottic airway devices, mechanical bag valve mask devices. 
Before administering benzodiazepines or opioids, the RN should verify that antagonists, for example, flumazenil for benzodiazepines, naloxone for opioids, are available. Nurses administering MSA should, quote, continually monitor and observe the patient throughout the procedure, end quote. AORN defines continual as, quote, repeated regularly and frequently in steady rapid succession, end quote. When administering MSA, RNs, quote, should be in constant attendance with unrestricted immediate access to the patient and have no competing responsibilities that would compromise continual monitoring and assessment of the patient, end quote. Therefore, AORN recommends assigning two RNs, one to work in the RN circulator role and the other to administer MSA. Nurses administering MSA may perform short, interruptible tasks, provided that the tasks do not interfere with the continual patient monitoring and the nurse does not leave the room. Practice Point Patient Discharge After MSA The interdisciplinary team should address the need for medical supervision of patients who have received MSA and the patient readiness criteria for discharge from the post-anesthesia care unit, PACU, and Phase II recovery in the MSA policies and procedures. A qualified licensed practitioner should be available to discharge the patient in accordance with the following criteria. 1. The vital signs are stable. 2. The time interval since the last dose of medication, for example, sedative, reversal agent, is adequate. 3. The patient has been assessed using an objective discharge scoring system that determines the level of consciousness, for example, modified Aldrate score. 4. The protective reflexes are intact. 5. No nausea is present. 6. Motor and sensory control has returned to baseline. 7. Pain is sufficiently managed. And 8. A safe mode of transportation is present. Some patients may experience delayed discharge after MSA, including those with an OSA diagnosis or a high frailty score. Patients who receive IV medications, require antagonist rescue, experience post-procedure nausea and vomiting, or have functional or cognitive impairment, also may experience delayed discharge. Children who receive MSA may need a longer supervised recovery, especially those who received a medication with a long half-life or have only one responsible adult present at the time of discharge. Children in car safety seats are at an increased risk for airway occlusion when their head rests in a forward position. Two adults are required because the driver has limited capacity to observe and respond to the child if an airway occlusion occurs. Conclusion Safe practices for administering MSA are an important focus area for RNs in procedure settings. An interdisciplinary team should provide the foundation for MSA practices through development and implementation of clear policies and procedures. Effective patient selection, presedation assessment and evaluation, medication administration, monitoring, and discharge should support safe RN-administered MSA. This Back to Basics 2.0 article 
contains three knowledge checks. I will now read the first knowledge check for the practice point, patient selection, assessment, and planning. Dr. P, an endoscopist, requests that the office nurse schedule Enzo, a 10-year-old patient, for a colonoscopy in the endoscopy department with RN-administered MSA. Although the endoscopy department RNs frequently administer MSA to adult and older adult patients, they rarely provide care for children. The office nurse schedules the procedure as requested. The day before the scheduled procedure, Janelle, the endoscopy department supervisor, discusses plans to care for Enzo with Dr. P and Dr. A, the director of anesthesia. She tells them that she does not have an RN to administer MSA to a child the next day. Dr. A looks surprised upon hearing this information because she thought that the department could provide care to pediatric patients at any time. Janelle explains that, because of the low volume of pediatric endoscopies at their facility, she has only verified the required age-specific competencies for two full-time RNs. However, one RN is on paid time off, and the other is on an extended leave of absence. Dr. A tells Janelle that she can provide a CRNA for the procedure, and the group disperses. Later the same day, Dr. P performs a procedure with Bernard, a recently contracted RN, who is administering MSA. At the end of the procedure, Dr. P asks him, quote, Didn't you tell me you have experience administering sedation to children? End quote. Bernard says yes, adding, quote, During my last contract, they required me to complete several modules and demonstrate some skills before they allowed me to do it. End quote. After the procedure, Dr. P sees Janelle and Dr. A in the hallway and tells them that the problem is solved. He requests that Bernard be assigned to his room again the next day to administer MSA to Enzo. In this scenario, who did not follow the practice point? A. Dr. A. B. Dr. P. C. Janelle. Or D. Bernard. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Dr. P. did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the second knowledge check for the practice point, medication administration and monitoring. Shannon is an RN who is competent to administer MSA in the outpatient gastrointestinal endoscopy center at a critical access hospital. She knows the center's policies and procedures on MSA requirements for emergency preparedness, including having immediate access to a working defibrillator and emergency medications. When Shannon arrives at work one morning, she sees Christy, another RN, performing the daily defibrillator check. She asks if it is working, and Christy says yes. During a procedure turnover an hour later, Shannon notices that the defibrillator is not on the emergency procedure cart. As she looks down the hallway, she sees Sailor, a biomedical technician, leaving the center with the defibrillator on a cart. She realizes that there are two procedures currently underway, but before she can stop Sailor, Dr. W., the endoscopist, approaches her and states he is ready to perform his next procedure. Shannon tells him that she needs a few minutes to find out why Sailor just left the unit with a defibrillator. Although he is not pleased, Dr. W. acknowledges the situation. 
Shannon consults with the other RNs and surgical technologists who were present and notifies the RN circulators in the working procedure rooms that the defibrillator is not immediately available. She finds Christy in the staff member lounge on a break, and they reconfirm that the defibrillator passed the testing earlier in the day. In this scenario, who did not follow the practice point? A. Dr. W. B. Sailor. C. Christy. Or D. Shannon. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Sailor did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the third and final knowledge check for the practice point. Patient discharge after MSA. Evelyn, a PAC-URN, is caring for Noah, a two-year-old patient on the autism spectrum, in phase two recovery after removal of a skin lesion with MSA. Noah's mother is at the bedside. Upon Noah's arrival in PACU, she had told Evelyn that her sister would be driving them home and would be arriving in approximately an hour. Reggie, a perioperative RN, had administered an intramuscular injection of ketamine, 4 milligrams per kilogram, at 1.40 p.m. at the request of Clyde, a CRNA. The procedure began at 1.54 p.m. and ended at 2.03 p.m. Noah has been in the PACU approximately 20 minutes and appears awake but agitated. Haiti, another PACU RN, relieves Evelyn for a break and Evelyn provides a handover report. When Evelyn returns 10 minutes later, Haiti states that Noah is still agitated and recommends that Evelyn discharge him now. In this scenario, who did not follow the practice point? A. Evelyn B. Clyde, C. Reggie, or D. Haiti. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Haiti did not follow the recommended practice point.